0: Will they join the military? Will they go off to college or university or some other higher education, a trade school? Will there be a combination of any of those things? Perhaps get a job, do some classes online, and be enrolled in the reserves? Any and all of these are very noble pursuits. None are necessarily better than the other. The one option, though, that parents usually discourage is for the graduate to stay at home, do nothing while the parents or grandparents pay for everything. That that option may not actually be a good option. My kids happen to be enrolled at Crown College. This is an aerial view. I like this picture because this main building of them is in the form of a cross. Uh, Crown College is uh, associated with the Christian Missionary Alliance denomination, and they bought this um, land and, and this initial building that was a Catholic uh, convent. I don't know what that group of people went on to do, maybe build something else, but then they built, bought this piece of property, which is Dow Crown College. It's 45 miles west of Minneapolis, out in the country, rural Minnesota. Our daughter Anna is a full-time Student on-site, and Jeremiah happens to be working full-time. He lives at home, and then he does online classes. Part of becoming a student at Crown is to sign a behavioral covenant or a code of conduct standards. And here is a list of what they have to agree to. This is now just in regards to their academic work. No cheating or attempt to cheat. No plagiarism. Fabrication, forgery, obstruction is prohibited. You can only submit your work once. No multiple submissions of the same work to different classes, to different assignments. No misuse of computers. And then what I found really interesting is then they outline a whole process (laughs) that there'll be a penalty There's a reconciliation process, there's an appeals process, and there's a conflict resolution. Not only in the area of academic work, but Crown also has a whole bunch of standards for other topics. This is what they have choose to write out the rules for. Alcohol use, tobacco, drugs, entertainment, hazing, pranks, pornography, a pregnancy policy, sexual assault policy, and just dealing with sexuality. One reason why the school has these rules is they are establishing a setting where people feel safe and are able to get along. They also have the rules as a way to say to students, this will protect you from harmful unhealthy behaviors. They are good for you. And. They have these rules as a way to say, this is what it means to be a crown student. You are now one of us. And as one of us, we expect you to behave this way. Not only that, but if you don't behave this way, if you are a chronic rule breaker, then you will not be one of us, and you will leave. That's part of their process. (laughs) Rules are not unique to school setting, Churches have rules as well. Churches both have written and unwritten rules. Some may say, well, that's what the Bible is. The Bible states our rules, starting with the Ten Commandments. The Bible is, of course, more than a rule book. What is interesting about the church trying to understand the rules in the Bible is that over the course of history, the church has been unable to agree on what exactly the rules are and what they mean and how to live them out in our community. This is why we saw the Protestant Reformation, (laughs) and why within the Protestant church there are so many denominations. Theological differences, but also then tied into rules. We all agree that there's rules, but sometimes we just can't agree on how to live them out. Did you know that Bethel Covenant Church here has rules too? We have unwritten rules, which I am slowly learning over time. (laughs) And we have rules written out on a huge banner right outside the entryway. Now, we don't call them rules. We call them Bethel's relational covenant. It also could be called a behavioral covenant or a code of conduct. Or it could just be called rules. They're quite good. They're really good. As people of Bethel, we choose to respect and honor one another, the pastoral staff, the lay leaders, by building each other up instead of tearing each other down. As people of Bethel, we choose to communicate by speaking the truth in love, listening with compassion and seeking to understand while striving to maintain the bond of peace. As people of Bethel, we choose to offer grace and forgiveness by, as much as possible, living in peace with one another, seeking forgiveness when we sin and extending forgiveness to others who sin against us. As people of Bethel, we choose to show love by investing in one another, by actively showing love of Christ and by committing to being inconvenienced for the sake of the gospel. As people of Bethel, We choose to pursue unity in Christ through prayer, the reading of God's word, the leading of the Holy Spirit, laying aside preferences, and choosing to walk hand in hand even though we don't see eye to eye. These are really good. Really good statements of how to relate to each other. They're solid, they're based on scripture, and they would lead people to being loved as they are part of this community they're also really, really hard to do naturally. (laughs) And it could be tempting to point to someone that isn't fulfilling one or any of these statements saying, hey, hey you, you aren't being inconvenienced for the sake of the gospel. Why is it that you always get your way? Don't you know that we agree to these statements, to these relational covenant statements? And then it might be even tempting for a person to say to someone else, you know, I'm not even sure if, you've, if you ever listen with compassion or seek to understand another point of view. I'm, I'm not even sure you're a Christian. At this point, if that were to be said, at that point, then the line has been crossed, hasn't it? If someone were to assign a person salvation to how they behave, then a line has been crossed. Behavior has its place, but it is not an indication of salvation. And this is what Paul is addressing to the church in Colossae. And here's what Colossians chapter 2 says. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the element spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, with which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. In you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your faith, flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all us our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities, and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up with reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the element, elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Don't handle, don't taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used. According to human precepts and teachings, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body but they are no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. When Paul writes, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, he's referring to a teacher in the area that was combining local folk belief with the good news message. The local folk belief said, in order to receive protection from evil spirits, a person is to call on the angels for help and protection. Now, this kind of makes sense. Um, if you want protection from an evil spirit, it kind of makes sense then to call on a good spirit to protect you. So it was easy for people to believe that. Along with that, the teaching, it's believed, scholars believed, was also being told to that early church that they should wear the stone um, around their neck. And the stone was believed to be magical, and it would provide protection. And on the stone, there was an inscription that read, Michael, Gabriel, Oriel, Raphael, protect the one who wears this. Flee, O hated one. Solomon pursues you. This teacher then uh, was telling people what it means to follow God, to get protection. You need to do this. And Paul is writing, no, no, you, you don't need to worship angels. As far as ascetism, which is an understanding that a person only reaches a desired moral and spiritual state through self-denial, extreme abstinence or self-mortification, Paul is writing that you don't need to live that way as well. Examples of this might be taking fasting from food to the extreme but it also could be denial of other pleasures and comforts. Now, fasting has a place, and there could be a time for self-denial where it can lead to spiritual growth and godliness, but asceticism is not what it means to be a follower of God. What will become known as Christianity, that term wasn't being used necessarily when Paul was writing, um, what is known as Christianity is not about following a set of prescribed rules, Christianity is about a relationship with Christ. And this is what Paul was trying to hit so hard. That's why Paul writes, let no one pass judgment on us in regards to what they think are important behavior markers of a good Christian. He then references some of the rules at the time. There There is these rules of don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. See, behavior is not an indication of salvation. Belief in Jesus as Lord and Savior is the indication of salvation. We are not saved by our works, but it's by God's grace sending himself as the Son to live that perfect life, to die, nailing our sins to the cross, and then to rise again, defeating death and the grip of the sin in our lives. That is Christianity, to believe in that. It is earlier in this chapter that Paul wants to make sure people understand this. He writes, In you, Who were dead in your trespasses, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, he set aside, nailing it to the cross. See, what Paul is doing here in these two verses is he begins with the state of human beings. Now I'm just rewording what he said, but we are born sinners. We are distant from God. We are unable to be with God. We are dead (laughs) because of our sins or trespasses. Our sins are those words, actions, thoughts that go against God. And that part of humanity, our humanity, needs to be cut off. And this is what he means when he writes the uncircumcision of your flesh. There is a part of every human that needs to be cut off, and we are dead Until it happens. Until there is forgiveness. Until that debt has been paid. Which leads us to verse 14. The debt has been paid. There is forgiveness. We are alive. You can think of it this way as writing an IOU to someone that you would borrow money or a piece of equipment, or maybe someone came over and gave you time to help you with a project and you said, Thanks. I owe you. I owe you. Often we don't write that out, but we just say it. What Paul is referring to here, even uses the words a legal document or legal demands, it's kind of more like a promissory note. If you were to borrow money from a bank, you're filling out this legal document of indebtedness. And the good news for the believers of Jesus is that God is wiping out that debt. There is forgiveness. Paul is specifically thinking of the Mosaic Law, which no person could uphold perfectly except for the one who was perfect. God has erased that record of debt by nailing it to the cross. This is such powerful imagery and has deep meaning when we think about how salvation comes to us. It's not by our works, but by God's work, Jesus going to the cross. So we say, yay, go, Jesus. But what do we do about behavior? And what do we do about bad behavior? The way I see bad behavior is when a person is acting in a way that is unhelpful or unhealthy It's just an indication of a growth area in their life. And it could be, and or it could be, an indication that they need help in their area of life. And the stress and the anxiety of that situation is just leaking out as bad behavior. Along with this, it's my observation that we all have growth areas. No matter how long we've been following God, no matter our age, no matter our role that we have in the church, no matter our education or experience or expertise, we all have growth areas. Getting back to Paul's words, let no one pass judgment, let no one disqualify you, verses 16 and 17. It's interesting to see when Jesus lived his life here on earth, he was criticized for not behaving the right way. Matthew 12 records two stories when religious leaders of the day were being upset on how Jesus and his disciples were acting. So this is Matthew 12, starting with verse 1. About that time, Jesus was walking through some grain fields on Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, so they began breaking off heads of grain and eating them. But some of the Pharisees saw them do it and protested, look, your disciples, they're breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath. Jesus responds with scripture using the opportunity to teach and share a deeper insight into God and God's word, concluding with, but you would not have condemned my innocent disciples if you knew the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For the Son of Man is Lord, even on the Sabbath. You see, sometimes people may criticize us Or we may criticize others by saying, you are not sacrificing. You are not sacrificing enough. You are not behaving. You are not behaving the right way. You aren't following the rules. Jesus and his disciples were being judged. And Jesus indicates that following God is not about the rules, but about him when he says, for the Son of Man is Lord, even on the Sabbath. Continuing on in Matthew 12, goes right away to the next story, verse 9. Then Jesus went over to the synagogue, where he noticed a man with a deformed hand. And The Pharisees asked Jesus, Does the law permit a person to work by healing on the Sabbath? See, they were hoping he would say yes, so they could then bring charges against him. Jesus answered, If you had sheep that fell into a well on the Sabbath, wouldn't you pull it out? Of course you would. And how much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Yes, the law permits a person to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand, and it restored, just like the other one. Then the Pharisees called a meeting to plot how to kill Jesus. Just as Crown College or any organization... Or any workplace says, in order to be one of us, you need to behave in a certain way. The Pharisees were saying the same thing to Jesus. In order to be a true, right, good follower of God, Jesus, you need to behave in the way we have established. Jesus didn't. And so, they plotted to get rid of him. Not just have him move away, but to kill him. The Pharisees get a bad rap, often deservedly so, (laughs) but also sometimes, unfortunately. The reason it's unfortunate is because there is a part of them that is truly trying to be right with God, not wanting to have God's condemnation and punishment come down on them or the people of Israel, as has happened so many times throughout Israel's history, Whenever Israel did not follow God, did not follow God's law, we read story after story after story of God then punishing them. One of the short stories is about King Jehoiakim in Second Chronicles 36. It says, Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 11 years. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord his God. Then King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and captured it. He bound Jehokim in bronze chains and led them away to Babylon. God's punishment for the evil life that King Jehokim lived, for not doing what God said to do, was then to have a neighboring king capture Jerusalem and capture King Jehokim. So good for the Pharisees for not wanting God's punishment as the result of disobeying God's law good for them unfortunate or bad for the pharisees for not seeing that jesus was bringing the freedom and is the fulfillment of the law and bad for the pharisees for any religious leader for any church for any follower of god to say to others you are not a true believer you are not a true follower unless you follow these strict rules This is what Paul is responding to in this part of the letter. We need not be judged or disqualified by anyone as we are believers in Jesus. And along with that, let us then not be the ones who pass judgment. This, I think, is the greater challenge. Our minds instantly come up with a story of who a person is, their faith, their commitment to God based on a whole variety of behaviors. First, we can judge based on how just the person looks and then how they talk, how they walk or carry themselves. We might judge their faith based on their job or their family status or their financial status, how often they come to church, if they are volunteering, how loud they sing, how many treats they eat after service, how much coffee they drink, where they park in the parking lot, what kind of car they drive, where they shop, what clothes they wear, what kind of shoes they wear, what their family history is, along with their political affiliation, their free time activities, where they go on vacation, and so on, and so on, and so on. You can see how silly our mind works. There was a time in the church that we would not have singers with a man bun or double-ringed lips. (laughs) We're past that, kind of. I'm glad you're here, doing it. Wherever Rob is, too, maybe. (laughs) There is a woman in a care facility in Rochester where I lead services. I am not sure if she thinks I'm a Christian because I do not read from the King James Version. We all have our litmus test. We all have our litmus test. And the... The litmus test is trying to figure out if a person truly, truly believes. And that is the only litmus test. That's Paul's point. If you believe, then you qualify, and no one can judge otherwise. Just as we are to not let others disqualify us, let us not be the ones who go about disqualifying others. There are some people for whom we may never be good enough. We don't follow the rules, whatever those rules may be. Jesus was not the right kind of Jewish rabbi for the religious leaders of the day. The people in this Colossae church were told to worship angels, were told to the only way to reach desired moral and spiritual state is through extreme self denial. They were told, don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. This is what it means to be a follower of God. But Paul brings it back to Jesus, perhaps knowing what Jesus has said the only way to the Father is through me. We are qualified. We need not be judged, and not because of what we have done, but because of what Jesus has done for us. Praise be to God. This is the good news. Let us also then be careful not to judge others. Behavior is not an indication of salvation. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are, for your gracious love, grace. You have given us what we do not deserve your son, Jesus, eternal life, life here and now. May we also then be a people of grace, embracing it for our lives and spreading it to others. We pray in your name, amen.